we are studying in the book of Colossians right now, and we've been walking through Colossians. We're actually going to get to chapter 2 this morning. And uh, the book of Colossians was written to a small group of believers in a little town called Colossae. <clears throat> Colossae was a church that, to our knowledge, Paul never visited. Uh, Paul is in prison in Rome. A guy by the name of Epaphras gets a hold of, uh, of Paul. We think Epaphras came, became a Christian under Paul's ministry. He went to Colossae and he started this church. And so as part of the church, what happened was the church started to uh, uh, grow and there were a lot of really good things happening, but they also started to have a small little problem. And one of the problems was as people would become Christians, they would bring their background and their previous stuff into the church and start telling people that that's what they needed to do. So when the Greeks became Christians, the Greeks were saying, you know, it just seems pretty simplistic to us that you just put your faith and trust in Christ. We think there's got to be more. So they came up with all of this deeper life knowledge kind of stuff and said, you know, if you're really going to mature, if you're really going to be the kind of Christian God wants you to be, you got to do all of the, You got to know all of this stuff, and that'll discern who's like a baby Christian and who's like a real Christian. The Jews came along, and when they became Christians, the Jews said, "You know, it just seems simplistic to us that you put your faith and trust in Jesus, and that's all you have to do." And 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 so we think because our tradition is rich in in works, and and our tradition is rich in 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 the Sabbath and in circumcision and all this thing, we think if you're really serious about God, you'll do some of our old stuff. And so this started coming into the church, and Epaphras is going, man, what am I going to do? So he goes up and talks to Paul about it, and Paul, one of the things Paul does is he writes a letter to these people, and he says, hey, guys, there's some stuff I want you to know. And so we have been walking through the stuff that Paul wants to know, and this morning in chapter 2, we get into some of it again. So uh, Colossians chapter 2, let's get started, and here's what he says. Uh, verse 1, uh, Paul, again, writing to the classy people, said, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Now, let's just stop here for a second. Uh, Laodicea is a church that's straight north of Colossae, not too far away. Uh, for those of you that have been Christians and been around your Bible a lot, um, many of you might know this place because in the book of Revelation, there are seven churches in Asia Minor that, that are addressed. Laodicea is one. Laodicea is the church that was lukewarm. And that, and that the writer John says, because thou art neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of the mouth. That was the church at Laodicea. What's interesting is the church at Colossae is not mentioned. So we don't know why. We don't know if it's because everything was going good in that church and he didn't want to address them, or if it was because the church didn't exist anymore because it had all fallen apart, or if it had kind of gone in with the church. We don't know why, but it's, it's not mentioned. But here Paul says, you know what? I have a concern, um, and I am working hard for you and those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. He says, look, you know what? I may not have ever met you, but you know what? I still care about you. I genuinely care about you because I have a lot invested in, 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 in seeing these churches go on and grow and do those kinds of things. And then he goes on. Notice what he says. He says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding 
in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So here's what he says. Paul says, look, here's my goal, guys. My goal is that you guys would have unity in heart, you'd be encouraged in heart, and united in love. He said, look, I get that the Greeks want to add all this stuff. And I get that the Jews want to add all this stuff. But Paul said, look, that's not what it's about, guys. It's about putting that stuff aside and focusing on Christ and being united in, if you will, heart, soul, and mind. And listen, that is so important, okay? One of the things that we have here is, as a non-denominational church, that non-denominational church, that's really important because we all have different backgrounds. You know, many of you have heard me say, if I was going to do church, I wouldn't do church this way. But the way I would do church, nobody would come. Okay? Because I've got odd, quirky little things. If I did church, let me tell you something, this thing would be like all stained glass. The stained glass guy. And you know what? I'm an aromatherapy guy. I would have like burning incense stuff. No, it would be smells, and you would go past lavender, and then you would come past chamomile. No, not chamomile. I'd put you to sleep. Um, I'd put you at, No, no. It would be all these kinds of smells because in the Old Testament, worship was, was smell as well as sight as well as sound. And, and there would be like music playing all the time. And it would be, and you'd go, people would go in and go, that's like the most bizarre experience I've ever been to. That was, that was, like, a, that was like a drug trip, you know. I mean, that was wild, you know. You wouldn't come. But that's the kind of stuff that would be exciting to me. You know what? I put all that stuff aside. I had a conversation this week with somebody who's an artist, and we have, a, we have a passion in art together. And so we were talking about, and they knew that we were getting ready to build a church. They said, so you're going to put stained glass in it? And I went, nah. I said, we're not like stained glass people. I am, but the church isn't, you know? I mean, that's not, that's, you know, we'd rather spend the money on people or on missions than we would on fancy glass. But, you know, on the other hand, I'm a glass guy. That's what meant, but you know what? I put all that aside. Why? That's not what's important. What's important is that we can rather get a group of people like this together, put all of our stuff aside, and focus on Christ. And that's what Paul said. He said, look, that's my goal for you guys. Notice what he goes on to say. He says, look, why? So that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. We talked about this last week, about the mystery of God, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's what he says, namely Christ. He said, you need to understand, in Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says, look, you need to understand this. Because, again, the Greeks, they're pushing for the wisdom thing. And Paul's saying, look, in Christ is all the wisdom you're going to need. You don't need all that stuff you guys are trying to add. And in Christ, you don't need all those Jewish works that you're trying to bring in. You need to understand that all of that was to get you to Christ. <clears throat> it's not so that you can focus on that. It's so that you can get to Christ. And he said, my desire is to get you to that point and get you to understand that and not be dealing with all of this stuff. And then he goes on. Notice what he says in verse 4. <clears throat> I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. He says, look, I understand people are making really strong arguments for both sides. But he said, I don't want you to listen to that. He said, I want you, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. You know what he says here? He says, look, and this is what I love. 
he doesn't write this book lamb-blasting them for all the things they're doing wrong. In fact, the reality of it is they're doing a lot of things right. And here he brings it out. Apparently, when Epaphras came up there, Epaphras, in talking to Paul, said, hey, look, here's what's happening in the church. They're doing this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Oh, yeah, and we got this problem with, like, the Jews and the Greeks. And he writes the book addressing the Jew and the Greek thing, but he also writes the book to encourage them and say, look, there's a lot of great things happening there. And notice what he talks about. He talks about there. He says, I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. <coughs> he said, you guys are doing some things right. He said, you're disciplined, you're smart, you've got your act together, you've got a solid faith. He said, I just don't want you to get sidetracked with all this stuff. Here's what he's saying. And we, we're going to talk about this in a second. I want to deal with this stuff while it's small. So let's fix this while it's small. It's not a big deal right now. This Jew-Greek thing, this was, it's not a huge deal right now, but I want to address it. Because I don't want it to be a big thing. Because there are so many other good things you got going for you right now. I just don't want this sidetracking you. In essence, what he's saying. Notice what he goes on to say. Oh, we got to stop here for a little. Okay, verse 6. Um, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. All right. Um, Verse 6, if, if you write in your Bible, circle it or put a star by it or something like that because there are two things that happen in the verse that never happens in any other writing of the Apostle Paul. Here's the first. See where it says, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord? It's the only time Paul ever says that. It's the only time Lord is at the end of Christ Jesus. He will say, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, he will not say any other place in his writings, Jesus Christ as Lord. It's the only place he does it. You see where he says, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord? It's the only place a person is the object of receiving. In all of other, Paul's other writings, Paul says something along these lines. Just as you have received the gospel or the teaching or the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never a person being received. It's the only place that he goes, look, guys, here's what I want you to understand. Just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. So stop for a second and ask yourself, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, how did you do it? What did you do? It was a very simple thing, wasn't it? Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Pretty simple, wasn't it? There wasn't a lot of hoopla. There wasn't a lot of things you had to jump through, a lot of things you had to do. He said, okay, in the same way, this is what I want you to do. And he goes on. He says, rooted. There are four passive participles, what they are in the Greek language. You don't care. So listen, rooted, build up, strengthened, and overflowing with thankfulness. He says, look, when you got saved, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, here's what happened in your lives. He's talking to people at class now. He said, you were rooted. He uses actually like a, a, a farming term, you know, a garden term. You were rooted. And you were built up. Now he uses a construction term. That's like a building thing. And you were strengthened. Now he uses like a, a, a personal, physical kind of term. And then notice what he says. And you were overflowing with thankfulness. 
Paul said, look, <clears throat> that's the way you keep going in your Christian life. You don't get sidetracked with all this Greek guy, guys wanting to add the wisdom stuff and the Jewish guys wanting to add the work stuff. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. You were rooted. You were established. You were built up. You were strengthened. And here's where we're, here's what I want to focus today. You are overflowing with thankfulness. I think that's a great temperature of where you are spiritually. You want to take your spiritual temperature this morning? Ask yourself how grateful you are. Okay? Um, so, that's what he says. The, this is all the verses we're going to look at this morning. Let, let me talk about some practical applications. Let me talk about some things that will help you and me as we try to live our lives today and tomorrow and the rest of this week. Here's the first one. Deal with stuff when it's small. Okay? Deal with stuff when it's small. Too many times we don't pay attention to the small things. And I know the little book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. I've read it. I get it. Okay. I agree. Most of us should not sweat the small stuff. But what I'm saying this morning is pay attention to the small stuff. Because here's the thing. If you don't deal with stuff when it's small, what's it going to do? It's going to get bigger. You know, Um, I get a little nervous when I see posts from some parents about their little kids. When they start talking about how cute something is when it's really rebellion. You see, you start laughing at a little kid who starts smart-mouthing you as an adult. There's going to come a point at which when they're 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, it ain't cute anymore. But here's a problem. You've got six years or eight years or ten years of laughing at it. Why? Because you didn't deal with it when it was small. You know, how many of us, how many times do you see stuff happen like that in raising kids? That's why it, my wife and, and doing teaching for all these years, um, you know, one of the things that, that she stresses to the new teachers who are, you know, straight out of high school, or straight out of college is, look, you set your discipline the first week of school. And you deal with it, and you deal with it firmly early when it's small, when they're still scared. <laughs> because as it goes, and, and moms, dads, grandparents, stop and step back and look at the small stuff in your kids' lives, understanding that if you don't deal with it when it's small, it's going to get bigger. Those of you who are married, let me tell you something. Deal with the stuff when it's small. Those of you who have been married like less than a year, I don't know, we got a, some of them in here. Um, yeah, I know you guys want, but I mean, those of you who have been married less than a year, look, set the standards now. Because if they don't pick it up now, guys, if the guys don't pick up their laundry now, <laughs> Talk to some of these people who are married 30 years. Ask them how hard a problem it is to undo. You know, why? Because, again, small stuff. Look, put, put an end to, the, to, the, to the, the problems that you have as a couple now when it's small. That's the biggest frustration of my job. You know why? Because you know when people call me, nine, 90% of the time, you know when people call me? When they've already seen an attorney. And the thing is so far gone that all I'm doing is triage to not make it worse. We can't fix anything. 
because there's been so much damage done. All we're trying to do is put out fires and not create bigger fires. And I see it over and over again. And when we start getting into it, it's like, you know, how long has this been going on? Oh, I don't know, 10 years. Great. But really, we want it fixed now, like this week. Really. For 10 years, you have treated each other like enemies. And in one week, you want me to fix it? You know, come on. You didn't get here overnight. You're not getting out overnight. We're going to have to go back and undo and work through all of these issues. And I go, I don't don't want that. You know, I don't want to put in that kind of effort. Well, then you know what? If If you don't want it that bad, then I really can't help you. You want it bad enough? We can work through it. With God's help, we can get through anything. But you've got to want it bad enough to work through it. Deal with it now while it's small. Um, deal with th- those problems at work that you keep putting off, thinking one day they're going to magically go away. Deal with them now while they're small. Okay? Um, I've learned this. Here's what I did. I, I had a massive project at my house this year, cleaning out my shed. Massive, massive project. And the reason I'm saying this is I want you to go to my house and look at my shed and be impressed. Okay? <laughs> Oh, and by the way, I've got to say this, too, because my wife and I have already had this discussion this week, so I want to deal with it now while it's small. Um, <laughs> I told her I was going to say this, so she knows. This is not new to her. Okay, here's what happened. My, my wife, no, I'm not going to throw her under a bus, but my wife used to walk the road. She used to walk up and down the road, like two and a mile. Now, because we've got a new dog and we're trying to train the dog, she doesn't, we don't trust the dog on the road, so she walks around the property. Well, here's what that means. Up until now, Everything in front of the shed had to look nice. Everything behind the shed could look however I wanted it to look. But now that she walks the property, she's like, are you going to clean that up? That looks really bad back there. I'm like, you didn't even know it was back there. And, she got, and so she pulled me, and she does this. This is why we have the trap shoot at our house, by the way. If you think it's because we're trying to serve you as a church, no, no. It's so that our property gets cleaned up once a year. That's why we do it. (laughs) So she pulls the, we got people coming over, and I said, listen. I said, we live in the country. Every man in the country knows it's a rule that you're allowed to have junk at the back of your property. And I said, and I will make sure that every person coming over knows that that is an official rule of living in the country. So, I'm making this statement this morning. Every man is allowed to have junk on the back of his property. It's not in the Bible, but it should be. <laughs> right? So, anyway, all right, enough said. But, you know, here's the thing. You, here's the thing. Back to my shed thing. I needed to clean out my shed. You know what I decided? So, here's what I did at the beginning of the summer. I said, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take it in small chunks. I'm going to go out there every day for at least an hour. And every day I walked out and did something. Even if it was just moving stuff from one end to the other or one pile to another pile to another pile, whatever, I moved it around. And you know what? By the end of the summer, it got organized and it got clean. Why? Because what I did was I set up and said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to make it an effort. So just what we talked about in Sunday school. You accomplish things in small bits consistently over time. That's how it makes a difference. And, and it's so important that we understand. Deal with stuff when it's small. Because if you don't, it's going to get out of control. It's going to get. That's why Paul writes this book. Paul's not, Paul says, look, you guys are doing really good, but let's deal with some of these small things now because they're going to get big. They're going to get big, and we want to fix them now. 
Um, second principle um, that, that we go into, and, and, and this is one that um, I think sometimes we forget. But you know what? We, we have to go back to the beginning of how we put our faith and trust in Christ. And here's the reality of it. We try to make stuff way too complicated. And that's what these people were doing. They were trying to make it way too complicated. They are trying to add so much stuff to it. And Paul says, look, just go back to the thing about how you were saved. You just simply said, Lord, save me. You just simply said, I'm tired of trusting in me. I'm going to trust in you. You want to know how you grow and mature and get rooted and built up and, 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 and all of that in your life? You want to know how? Just simply trust him and walk with him every day. You trust him for your eternal destiny. Why don't you trust him for the day that's in front of you or the situation or the circumstance or whatever it is you're facing? And it's crazy to me. We understand that if you don't charge a cell phone, it's of no use to you. Every one of you has chargers probably in your car, in your house, and everything. Because you know how important that lifeline is to you if your car breaks down or if you need to get a hold of somebody real quick or whatever. And so you keep that cell phone charged up and you watch it. And if it's not charged, you've got a place to charge it. And you got, I mean, some of you, some of you kids, you carry around an extra automatic quick charge thing. Because you're afraid that your battery could go down and you could miss that text that says, how are you? And it's crazy, but you know what? We will live our Christian life and just figure out, well, you know, I'll read my Bible whenever we get a chance. I'm, here's my challenge to you. You live your Christian life this way, the same way you take care of your cell phone. Because I guarantee you, you do that, when crisis and difficult times come, you'll be ready. You'll be ready. Um, as, as most of you know, the last year has been a whirlwind for us with Doug and Terry. Um, this last two weeks has been... A lot of time at the hospital, a lot of emotional roller coaster, a lot of highs and lows. I mean, literally, I'd get up in the morning and say, you know, this was all a bad dream. And then I would realize, no, it's not a dream. We're living in the middle of it. It's the way it is. And the last, ever since Wednesday, has just become even more intensified with everything. And here's what I've learned. There are times that when you go through times like that, you can't pick up your Bible necessarily and read it and get anything out of it because your mind's a million miles away. And as much as you want to, it it just isn't going to happen. So what has to happen during those times is you have to go back on what you know. You have to go back to the relationship that you have established with Christ when you got saved. And there are times that your prayer is just simply, look, God, you can save me. You can get me through today. And yesterday was probably one of the harder days. And I don't know if I can tell the story without getting all weepy, so if I do, you'll get over it. Um, Some of you have seen the video that I posted. Uh, Yesterday afternoon they came in, and uh, basically the doctor, uh, you know, again, you know, I've done this long enough, I knew what was coming, and I knew what the discussion meant, and everybody else who hadn't been through it is trying to comprehend what the doctor's saying. Basically the doctor's saying, look, we're going to increase the dosage to this crazy amount, and he's just going to pretty much sleep a lot. And as it starts to wear off, you'll get a brief few moments, and at, at best, that's what you're going to get. And then, you know, it'll, it'll kick in, and, and you'll go through all that again. 
And so we understood, you know, and so I kind of explained to the family. I said, you know, look, you know, what, what he's saying is we got to manage the pain. It's not about spending time with Doug. It's about managing the pain. We've got to get the pain managed. And so the doctor came in and he said, this is what we're going to push it up to, and he pushed it all the way up to that. And um, so we were all kind of sitting there. And at, at that point yesterday, there were a lot of people that came in yesterday. At that point, there was only, there were only, a, there, there were only a handful of us in the room. Um, Terry and myself and her kids and Josh and Ember and um, Mindy, his daughter-in-law and, and future daughter-in-law. It was just us, and Doug that morning had asked for his guitar. And Doug, early in his, in his deal, was a, a picker, as he calls it. He went to Nashville, played, did that kind of stuff, and, and he's phenomenal with guitar. When his kids were born, Doug kind of set it aside and never picked it back up. But about 10, or 15, 10 years or so ago, Doug picked it back up and started playing for churches, and, and Doug actually played acoustic guitar for Sunnybrook. That, that's one of the things that Doug did. So he had asked for his guitar, and so we brought it up, and um, the kids brought it up, and, and they had the guitar there. And uh, it, w- it was one of those deals where, you know, I, I'm sitting over in the corner watching this, and I'm going, come on, guys. There's no way. There's no way. And it took about 15 minutes to get him comfortable enough to even set a guitar on his lap. And we finally did. Finally got a guitar set on his lap. And, and, well, first of all, we spent, like a, we spent like 15 minutes convincing him that it was his guitar, and we never did. Finally, we told him that the hospital owns a guitar and loaned it to us to be able to use. Um, because, and the long story was, Doug had a guitar. It got stolen years ago, and the guitar that he had in his mind describing to us was, his, was a guitar he grew up with his entire life and played up until 10 years ago when, when it got stolen and had to get it replayed. So we just told him, look, it's a hospital guitar. We know it's kind of crappy but we think they you know you know you can play and he goes well it ain't my guitar we said we know we know just try it so we could not convince him for anything it was his guitar finally got him set up finally set up and it was a god moment because all of a sudden with incredible clarity he started playing like he has played for his entire life and then he started to sing and, you know, and, and I realized it, and I, I mentioned to Tyler, you, know, you need to start videoing this. You know, everybody's got their cell phones, and then we got all the cell phones out recording the whole thing. And then he, he considered, he continued to play for another 15 minutes after he got done singing. It was one of those moments where you know that God is in the middle of it. And it was even to the point that the nurse came in, and she looked at us, and she goes, what? In the, you know, and I said, you know, I, she said, I thought somebody else was in here playing for him. I said, no. I said, the doctor was walking down the hall, and I saw him, and I called him in. I said, doctor, I said, you have to come in and, and, and just for a minute, you know. And he was, felt bad because he was the one who just told us the information and, 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 you know, 30, 40 minutes before. And he came in, and, and I said, you have to see this. And the doctor stood there, and the doctor just shook his head. In fact, he went over to the IV machine to make sure the nurses had punched the numbers in right because he could not believe anybody could be on that much medication doing this. And for that, that 15, 20 minutes, I mean, I had to get up and go to the bathroom, but I'm like, I ain't moving. I am not moving. I, this is a once-in-a-lifetime. I've seen a lot of things. I've never seen anything like this. It was almost like God just stepped down and said, 
I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you this. Because I think God knew that's what we needed. And I challenge you to say, I, I, I challenge you to get to this understanding of this point that it is so important that you go back to the simple things in your life of faith and trust in Christ. That He's powerful enough to save me. He's powerful enough to take care of my circumstances, my situations, my difficulties for that day. Don't make it too complicated. And the last thing that Paul talks about in this passage is gratefulness. You know what? We're spoiled. And we are a bunch of whiners. And we need to stop whining and complaining and really be grateful for all that we have. You have this day. You have this moment. You have this time. Be grateful for it. Yes, your health could be better, and it could be worse. Yes, your spouse could be better, and they could be worse. Yes, your kids could be better, and they could be worse. Yes, your job could be better, and it could be worse. We need to be grateful for the day and the things that we have. And I'm afraid too many times we have gotten wrapped up in our world to the point that we think we deserve it all. And so when something doesn't go our way, we get all bent out of shape instead of being grateful for it. One of the things I read this week was was Matthew Henry was a preacher and he wrote a commentary. And so just about every preacher that's probably on the planet owns Matthew Henry's commentary. It's six volumes. It's been around forever. One night Matthew Henry was coming home from a a service deal and he was robbed and they took all the money that he had and when they talked to him about it later you know the average person would look at a situation like that and go you know i can't believe it i was serving god and was on the way home and i was robbed and you know you know god should have taken care of me and da, da, da. And they asked matthew henry about it and here's what he said he said i'm grateful for four things he said um number one uh i gotta i gotta i gotta read him he said number one I'm grateful that I had never been robbed before. He said, number two, I'm glad that he took all of my money and that it wasn't much. He said, number three, I'm glad that he didn't take my life. And he said, number four, I'm glad that I was robbed and that I was not the robber. And I thought, you know what? Only a guy who walks with God and has something bad happen to him can have that kind of outlook. And that's the kind of outlook we need to have. That whatever comes your way this week, whatever comes your way today, you will somehow be able to find gratefulness and gratitude, as difficult as it may be. I'm heading into a week where I'm probably going to lose my best friend. But I'm grateful because I can say I'm going to lose my best friend. 
that we have been given much. And we need to step back and look at our own lives and say, is gratefulness a characteristic of who I am? Because as Paul said to these people, you guys are doing great because one of the things that was true of the people at Colossae is they were grateful. And we need to be as well. So my prayer for all of us this week goes something like this. That we would walk in faith focusing on what Christ has done for us. That we'll be grateful for the things that God has done in our lives. And that we will not take this day for granted. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Use us. Lord, we get so tied up and so wrapped up in all the stuff of life, and Lord, we forget some of the most basic things. Lord, you have saved us. You have made us your children. You have given us keys to the kingdom, Lord. You have allowed us to be able to leave this place and spend eternity with you. You've given us hope in hopeless situations. You've given us joy in some of the darkest times. And Lord, for those of us who are believers who have put our faith and trust in you, Lord, would we really learn to appreciate that which we've been given? For others, Lord, here today that that they may not have that kind of confidence, they don't have that kind of relationship, Lord, would you help them to understand they can? And that, Lord, it's not difficult. It's incredibly simple. But it is oh so life-changing. Use us and thank you for your word. And now help us to go out and do something with it. These things we ask in your name. Amen.